Alright, this is the Yield Coach Show, Season 1, Episode 6. Okay, every episode we bring you dynamic entrepreneurs, real estate investors, business leaders, inspirational guests that are ready to open up, share their story, the good, the bad, the ugly, so you can learn lessons, gain advantages, and accelerate your own success. I am your host, Ian Brown. I am joined today by our guest, Obi Dorsey. Obi Dorsey is a local legend here in Northeast Florida. I'll give you a quick rundown. Obi is the owner and founder of Freedom Home Buyers and Freedom Realty Group. He is a self-proclaimed deal junkie. He is a super negotiator. I can vouch because I've been on the receiving end of an Obi negotiation. Never pretty. Obi has been in real estate full-time for eight years. He's flipped over a thousand deals. I'll say that again. He's flipped over a thousand deals. He owns just under a hundred residential doors or units, 300 acres in development, and his personal focus is to live life to its full potential. I couldn't be more excited to have Obi on the show. Obi, welcome. Ian, I'm excited to be here. Thank you so much. Longtime friend, and I'm excited to see you take this new uh, this new adventure that you're doing with the podcast. A lot of people are going to benefit from the information you're you're uh, you're you're handing out. Obi, I do appreciate that. Um, we'll see where it goes. I'm excited to have guys like yourself, and of course, without your participation, we wouldn't have much of a show. So, thank you for coming on. Um, let's open it up. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Of course, I know you pretty well, but um, I plan on learning even more about you and. Uh, let the guests get to know you a little bit about your background, where you're from, uh, a little about a little bit about the early Obi Dorsey. Yeah, sure. Um, man, I don't know. I don't think I, I have anything exciting to tell. Um, I've been in Jacksonville for 15 years. Um, you know, I, I've always done real estate. Uh, I always had an entrepreneurial bent. Um, but I launched full time into real estate a little bit late in my career, in, in my opinion, uh, about eight years ago, uh, went full, full force uh, into it. Um, I think my only regret was that I didn't do it a little bit sooner. But, uh, you know, sometimes you don't know what you don't know until, um, you know, it's easy to see in the, in the rearview mirror. But uh, with that being said, I mean, I'm a family guy. Uh, we have a, a six kids total. Um, you know, active with hobbies and sports, uh, keeping up after after uh, all the little ones. But um, you know, we're trying to grow a, a, a scaled up uh, wholesaling business and utilize utilize those profits to do bigger deals in the development space. And um, you know, we're we're trying to make an impact in the community uh, as we grow, and um, we're having a lot of fun at it. Um, you know, sometimes it feels like two steps forward, uh, one step back. But uh, all in all, it's been a, an amazing ride, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. And I uh, just feel extremely blessed to, to have, um, you know, to be provided the opportunities that I've been provided and to, uh, to, to be able to utilize those and grow. And before real estate, I know you said you're eight years full-time, um, more than that, of course, before you made the switch. What were you, what were you up to before real estate? So I was like... Uh, sales and estimating for an insurance restoration company kind of that was my background prior to uh prior to real estate i'd always done real estate on the side you know like a a live-in fix and flip or a couple rental properties here or there and um you know long story short i just got to the point where um i kind of took stock of of where i was in life and just accepted and acknowledged like man i'm not where i want to be i'm not doing what i want to do uh, I'm at somebody else's, um, behest and, you know, I'm not living life, uh, fully. I'm not, um, you know, a little bit of fear, a little bit of hesitancy of, of like, can I do this on my own? Can I be successful? Can, um, you know, I've got responsibilities. Can I, can I maintain those responsibilities? And, and, um, and I think I just made some, made that pivot, uh, and, and I haven't looked back. I like that expression. If you leap, you know, the net will appear. And a lot of times it, it is just fear, usually just, you know, self-conceived fear. A lot of times it's not based in reality. So, sometimes it is. And um, but I love to hear the story of people going from whether it's a 1099 that was really safe or a W-2, you know, um, into this entrepreneurial space like you did and, and trying to make a full time run at it. Um, 
did you pick up I, I do consider you a, a skilled negotiator which is critical in the in the type of real estate you do um, did you pick up some of that in your in your sales background or did you just always have it where, where did that skill come from no, I mean, I, I think I've always enjoyed negotiations uh, from a, like a very, very young age. Um, I would I would negotiate just for the sake of negotiating, um, you know, not just for the just for the just for the sheer enjoyment of it. But uh, no, I mean, that career definitely sharpened that um, uh, gave me some um, some analytical skills and some um, you know, it's just honestly constant negotiation. So, uh, but I, I think that's what I enjoyed the most about it, honestly. And uh, even still today, you know, I, I, I really uh, gravitate towards that in the in our space. I don't know if I'm quite to your level, but when I was a kid, um, grade school, I know I wasn't even in high school yet. I would. Um, this is before Craigslist is really what it what it is now. I would get like the auto trader and the boat trader and like the classifieds out of the newspaper and. You know, I'm like in junior high and I would just call these owners and uh, it's funny to look back, but I would just be, you know, let's say they wanted to sell something for, you know, $5,000. I would just see like, what's the lowest they would take, you know, and just kind of work on my negotiation skills at an early age. Um, I'm not even sure why I was doing that. It's not like my parents were going to let me buy a, a boat, you know, like at, like at age nine. But, uh, you know, <laughs> it was it was a good practice. Yeah. And if you would have got a boat at half half price, they probably would have let you buy it. Exactly. I think I helped my I helped my buddy negotiate this. Uh, it was one of those old school golf carts, or I'm sorry, uh, go karts that you hardly even see kids ride anymore. Like the exposed chain, the really loud motor, pure steel, no seat belt, and uh, just this super dangerous machine. But we we negotiated it off of like a a newspaper ad, you know, for I want to say like a quarter of what the guy wanted. And we just ran that thing ragged for years and. We were we were always like undercapitalized, but looking to looking to get into things. When you're young, it might be a go kart, a used car, maybe a small boat, and then as you know, you grow up and you become you know a real estate guy. Next thing you know, you're negotiating downtown buildings, and or you're maybe wholesaling a hotel or an apartment. It's but it's really it's really a lot of the same same skill set. You know, I think um, some of the big names that some of the audience might know, like your Grant Cardone's. I mean, he talks all all the time about his car sales background, and I think. I think some of these, you know, childhood pursuits, it's kind of funny how they show up later in life. Uh, yeah, man, 100%. And, and I, I negotiate just for the fun of negotiating. The other day we were uh, coming out of a parking garage and um, there's a, instead of a machine, there was a, a man there um, kind of helping. And, you know, I, hey, uh, I don't, I don't want to pay for parking. Do I have to? And, you know, you're, I'm constantly amazed at what you'll get if you ask, right? So if you don't ask, you don't get, and, um, it might, you know, my wife kind of rolls her eyes and like, uh, you know, oh, 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 whatever. But I mean, it's not because I'm cheap because it's really not about the money. It's just about the fun of asking. Like the sport of it. It's so, like, it's like sparring. It's the yeah. Sport. Yeah. hundred percent. And if you do it with a smile, um, you know, like people receive it really well. I mean, the guy's. The guy's taking tickets. Uh, he's got to have the most boring job in the entire world. So, you know, somebody joshing him a little bit, uh, you know, it's it's well received. So. And I think you know most of this audience is is a has a real estate concentration, or they're or they're probably interested in investing in real estate if they're not already. And um, this is a bit of an anecdote, but every time I'm I'm brokering or, or helping others um, in real estate transactions or doing my own. If you take the time to get an inspection report, even if it, none of them are perfect, I mean, new construction inspection reports are going to come back with something. Um, I know lots of buyers that just look at it, sit on it, you know, don't do anything. I, at minimum, I mean, kind of to Obi's point, send that inspection report over to the seller or the seller's agent and just ask. Maybe you're, maybe you're too timid. You're not sure how to price a discount. Just say, here's the report had some concerns on these pages. Is there anything you're willing to do for us? And when you leave it open-ended like that and you say it with a smile or, you know, a little bit of, you know, candor and charisma, it can go a long ways. You don't always have to say, you know, here's this report. I want 10,000 off or whatever it is. Sometimes you do have to do that. And sometimes reports you discover like egregious things that you just have to address. But I mean, I've had deals that were well-negotiated up front. 
you get the inspection report, send it over. You still are okay with the pricing, but you just point out what's in the report and ask if they're willing to do anything. And um, I think in the same vein of what we're talking about, that can go a long ways and it tends to not isolate the other party. I think you'd be hard pressed to find a dollar per hour thing that you could do that offers you a better uh, uh, return on your time than, than negotiating. Uh, I've heard stories about uh, like Donald Trump at the heyday when he was doing a lot of building, he would get, you know, periodically he'd go in and, and get a, uh, an invoice or go through his stack of invoices and call up one of the vendors and just negotiate, um, you know, a, a discount on whatever particular situation it was. But just for the sh sheer purpose of, um, you know, this is him at his heyday, you know, like I, I got a $10,000 uh, discount for you know five minutes worth of time like that's still recognizable but then the, the the second component of that is just so that people know that you're paying attention and you're actually watching right so you're you're paying attention to the details and 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 that sets kind of a precedence as well i couldn't agree more and um you know we developed a a, a kind of brief online course to help people kind of get into this real estate entrepreneurial mindset. But, you know, another thing that I talk about in that employee to entrepreneur course that we filmed, at minimum, especially early on, get competitive bids and don't be shy about the fact that you're getting competitive bids just by all the vendors knowing that they're one of three, maybe one of five. I mean, five bids, you might not do that on everything. But um, just by simply them knowing there's some competition for this work, especially if it's a a reasonably big project um, that's that's inherently going to going to drive down those bids um, the last thing you want to do is come across as urgent uh, with one vendor and they know it and they don't think you're price sensitive because you're in a hurry or or you tell them you got hard money uh, you tell them you don't know anybody else in these trades um, the clock is ticking I mean, none of these statements are going to do you any good so um, no I, I hope people are taking some some things away from this um, so, Obi, if you would, I, I know a little bit about your company. You have the, the real estate, um, and I think you do some management, may, maybe not a lot, but a lot of wholesaling, some straight brokerage. Um, can you go in to just talk about between your, your different Freedom Realty and Freedom Home Buyers, what's the full scope of your services and, um, and like what your concentration is and what kind of volume, if you don't mind sharing, what kind of volume you guys are doing? Probably 80% of what we do is wholesale uh, real estate. So we're buying properties cheaper and selling them cheap. Um, we're, uh, we're bringing off-market properties on market uh, or onto our, our, you know, our intimate uh, kind of private buyers list or whatnot. Um, and that's probably, uh, that's a large portion of what we do. Um, ancillary things, uh, we'll do some fix and flips. We're kind of picky about the, uh, the projects that we're taking on on the single family space from a fix and flip standpoint. They're typically the, the lighter renovation uh, projects or the ones that are um, just extremely high margin uh, deals. So uh, I've, I've been around long enough that I've learned the ins and outs and um, are kind of cheesy about the, the, the fix and flip projects that we take on. That side of the business is a lot, the fix and flip side is a lot harder to scale than uh, the wholesale uh, piece. Um, we do do some brokerage uh, activity. Uh, it's also kind of limited. Uh, it's more friends and family and, and um, you know, just situational. Uh, it's not a, a huge focus of ours, but uh, it, it serves uh, our purpose on the wholesale side of being able to sell deals uh, a little bit better, a little bit easier. Um, we own, uh, like I mentioned, uh, just shy of 100 doors uh, that we, we self-manage uh, presently. Um, we've kind of consolidated that down to a little bit. Uh, it's more uh, small multifamily is where we've kind of put our focus. Um, uh, like in the years going forward, I'd like to take that up uh, one or two notches to like the, the, the medium-sized uh, kind of multifamily. Um, and then, uh, you know, I think I mentioned to you uh, the other day, we're doing some land development stuff. Uh, got set up 300 acres or just shy of 300 acres um, in some sort of development play. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, that's in a, in, a, in a nutshell, that's our business. I'm going to back up a couple minutes there. The, the audience might not be familiar with wholesaling. They might have heard the term. In your own words, can you 
Can you just walk us through that industry? We're, we're providing value to the market in a, in a sense that we're offering uh, sellers a convenient, fast, easy um, way to sell their, dis, their property that needs some, needs some, it typically needs some TLC or uh, they're on a short timeline. Um, so we're saving people's houses from foreclosure, um, you know, bad tenant situations, um, uh, you know, just physically distressed property, um, you know, tax deed sales, uh, things of that nature. And, and we're buying those houses fast uh, and making the sale very convenient for the sellers and giving them certainty and some peace of mind. Uh, we're typically buying that real estate at a discount uh, and we're bringing that either the property itself in the sense that we purchased it and we're reselling it or that we're selling the contract and we're bringing that to the market as a whole and offering that property still at a significant discount um, to a, a, either a landlord or a fix and flip buyer or sometimes even a homeowner or a hedge fund um, that wants to recognize a, a, you know, buying something that still has a little bit of meat on the bone and there's some, some equity that they can take advantage of it. Okay, and just to break it into uh, my own verbiage, a common wholesale would be, you know, you're watching probates and divorces. You're you're probably sending out mail campaigns, maybe some cold calling like driving for dollars, but you're finding these deals that have not been recognized yet and they have some urgency or distress. You then place them under contract and then at that point, there's a fork in the road. You could then assign your contract to an end buyer for a fee, and that would be like the flipping of the contract or the wholesaling, or you go ahead and close, take title, and then sell it immediately or shortly thereafter with or without some rehab. Is that true? 100%. Okay. Yeah, I, the wholesaling, I find that term confuses people that are kind of like just considering getting into real estate investment. One, I might let you talk about this, but yeah, I will. Obi, tell us why wholesaling may be the best initial avenue for somebody uh, looking to get into investment real estate. Yeah, I mean, uh, low cash and low risk. So, you know, the, the, the advantage to wholesaling is that, you know, if you're not taking title to a property, you don't have, uh, a, a, you know, any physical risk with that property, right? It's not going to burn down while you own it. It's not going to... Um, the termites aren't going to eat it. Um, you don't have to pay to mow the grass or, or you know, if you got your numbers wrong um, and the rehab is $50,000 as opposed to the 25 that you thought it was, like you don't have any of that risk. So, and the, the reality is, is, is at least to do one or two deals at a time, you know, you can do it via sweat equity and you don't have to do a lot of, um, it's less capital intensive than, uh, than, you know, buying, buying a property and doing the renovation. So, you know, the value that you're providing is just finding the deal, recognizing the deal and bringing it to the market. And so the, uh, like, as far as the capital that would say you want to get into wholesaling and, you know, wherever this audience is listening, let's say you're in Tampa and, and you like what Obi's doing. I mean, this is a guy who's done a thousand of these or more. Um, I guess I'm just going to use my own words. You would need to have your branding, you need to ha probably have a good web page because they, people are gonna like Google you once you go knocking on their door or sending them a letter. You're gonna need to be able to afford to send out probably I would think thousands of letters, uh, maybe thousands monthly. And, um, and you're gonna need to have some capital to put these properties under contract and have that uh, earnest money binder, uh, that escrow deposit, depending on what verbiage you use in your part of the country, but that binder. Um, does, that, does that seem to sum it up, Obi? I mean, at the risk of disagreeing with the host, which I, I know is a bad hit me, a bad idea. But no, I mean, you don't. Um, you need to have uh, some charisma and some tenacity, and you need to go and find the deals. So you don't have to have a huge budget. You don't have to have, um, you know, a website. Uh, you don't have to have a branded shirt. You don't have to have a logo. You don't have to have any of that crap. You have to have the balls to go and make an offer to a seller for half of what their house could be worth. And you have to do that, you know, 30 or 40 times until you get somebody to say yes. I love, I love that answer. I mean, it just, it's raw. It, it takes durability. And I think, you know, it's interesting because I, I sit here with, I think I just hit like 16 years of real estate work. It hasn't all been investment work, but, you know, I think that 
it's great to hear answers like that because sometimes as I get further down this journey, I think of all the resources that I have and I'm used to, I'm just used to having them. I've had web pages forever and business cards and yes, branded polos and all that stuff. And, and now a lot of people in my market already know me, but no, you're absolutely right. Um, somebody could break into this market, you know, and take all my clients away with no web page and no business card and just roll up their sleeves and, um, and be willing to get after it. Now, I, I'm glad you, I'm glad you answered it that way. That's a great nugget. Yeah. I mean, I would encourage somebody new to this space, like Brent, get a, um, get a yellow notebook or this is a white one, but get a yellow one or get one, make a line down the middle on once get on the phone, talk to people on Craigslist, talk to people on, on Facebook, talk to people at, at your local, uh, you know, RIA or your local, there's some sort of real estate meetup. Talk to those people on one side of your sheet of paper, write down what someone's looking for as you get to know them. On the other side, write down what somebody is trying to get rid of or what they don't want or what they have too much of. And if you did that for a week or two, you would have, you would have enough to put some deals together. You're just parlaying what somebody else has and what somebody else needs and connecting the dots. And you can make a business model out of doing that if, if you are consistent at it and, and just creative enough of thinking, thinking through how you're providing value to somebody. Because that's all you're really doing. You're just providing value to the market in the sense that you're solving people's problems. So, you know, real estate investors are typically doing, you know, they're either buying, they're holding, they're selling, or they're undecided, right? So if, if you know that they each fit into one of those boxes, you can triangulate and, and value engineer deals. I feel like the uh, the power of follow up and um you know you can do it with a you know a, a Google calendar or a CRM or whatever you want to do but just the just the power of being able to stay in this game long enough to where it's like you know OB called this guy in 2000 let's say 16 he was undecided didn't want to sell and he just stays in touch stays in touch I see OB nodding for those of you that are that are just listening and I think most of the better deals that I've been able to do not all of them but at least a good chunk they just came from follow-up, and I don't mean like a couple days later. I mean, it might have been six months later, a year later. I mean, real estate, it can be a long play, and sometimes you'll see someone's year, and you're like, damn, they just had a million-dollar year or whatever they did. I can almost promise you it's just reflective of the you know preceding three to five years of what they were up to. Um, so any thoughts on that, Obi? No, I would 100% agree with you. Um, you know, whatever results you're seeing right now are indicative of what you did, you know, three, six, nine, 12 months prior to that. Um, you know, sometimes even longer on the on the larger uh, on the larger stuff. Um, so yeah, I think, uh, you know, just being willing to take action, start where you're at, you know, uh, to, and just be consistent. What on that note, because, um, you know, myself included and, and a lot of people that are just entrepreneurs, a lot of entrepreneurs are by, you know, definition, a lot of them are, are visionaries and visionaries often struggle with consistency and focus. It's, a, it's like just a tale as old as time. And um, books like Rocket Fuel, um, you know, like Gino Wickman and, and uh, they break it down as visionaries and integrators. And it's a rare, per it's a rare person who is all, who is naturally both an integrator and a visionary. And a lot of us are, I'll just speak for myself. I, when I take those, uh, those polls or those tests in like rocket fuel, I'm like 94 out of a hundred on the visionary side and my integrator side, it was like 55. It was much lower. So I was very clearly a visionary, but for those of us that are, solopreneurs or run a small shop or we're just trying to break out on our own you have to wear both hats and the visionary part yes it's important but the part that really moves the needle is going to be all those integrator skills that you don't really like the consistency the organization the follow-up that actually allow you to benefit from the fact that you were a visionary in the first place so i think obi's point about you know being consistent and taking steady action um i've said this in previous episodes but the accumulative effect of small daily action is just unbelievable. Um, and I'll say it again. I, I don't think there's a single day that I ever did anything 
magical. Yeah, everything has been just small accumulations of in, intentional steps. And you do need to have a, a direction. Don't just take a bunch of small steps in a, in a scattered direction. But if you have a plan and you take steady action um, and you don't give up, you're almost guaranteed to have success. I think you're right. Like over a long enough time horizon, uh, just the fact that you're tenacious and not giving up um, will serve you very, very well. Um, you, you mentioned Rocket Fuel, a, a book along that same line, if you haven't read it, um, or I can kind of recommend it to the group, uh, is the Who Not How. Um, it just like, it's a really simple concept, but you don't need to figure out how to do everything. You just need to figure out the who um, and being intentional about that and then telling people that who it is that you're looking for to help you. Um, like, it's kind of like you open you express that thought to the universe and lo and behold, the next thing you know, it, it comes to fruition. And it's, it's just, uh, you know, I don't want to say all metaphysical, but I mean, it, it is, it is kind of true in the sense that like, if you can't, if you can achieve, if you can believe it, you can achieve it. If you, if you can't even conceptualize it or recognize that there's a need, like, even if it, even if it came to you, you wouldn't be accepting of it because you haven't, kind of announced that to the world that you need it. I totally agree. And I am familiar with that who not how I think I heard that author um, speak on a, on a podcast. But no, that um, that who not how is critical. And I, and I think it's empower. I think the concepts of like, of the who not how and the rocket fuel. Part of why I like those is it it kind of relieves some burden. I don't want to say guilt, that's kind of a loaded word. But it takes some of that off of the entrepreneur who might feel like you're failing, because you can't do all of these things, you know, we talk about like the whole loaf of bread, you know, the entrepreneur might only have a couple slices that are critical. He needs to do like that $10,000 an hour negotiation call. Uh, he needs to make high level, like mission statement style decisions, the direction of companies. He may need to be involved, he or she may need to be involved in HR and the hiring and firing. But um, I think the who not how notion is very freeing. It's very unburdening to know that you could plug somebody in and by telling them, look, I'm hiring you because this is not my strength. Now you're empowering that person. And if you give them some upward mobility within your organization, uh, it can go a long ways. So you mentioned something um, as you were speaking, you said, uh, you know, the guilt that goes along with, um, you know, kind of either mistakes you've made or maybe potential that you haven't maximized or guilt to just, you know, look, I, I'm trying to do this. It's just not my skill set, right? Like I'm, I'm trying to, I'm a visionary, but I'm, my execution on operations is weak. Uh, you know, you can beat yourself up against something like that, um, but that's not uh, that's not going to actually get you anywhere. That won't move you forward. Um, being willing to kind of forgive yourself um, and just accept who you are is uh, is really important. Um, yet, let me give you an analogy real quick. Uh, yesterday, uh, I realized. Uh, to my dismay and to my horror, uh, that I had been running a, um, a pay-per-click ad campaign through Bing as opposed to Google. And um, I had, uh, I had um, delegated this to a, an individual in the company who, who did not end up, um, he's not here anymore. Uh, he set the campaign up. He left shortly after he set it up. And... This was in 2000, December, I'm sorry, January of 2019. Mm. I found out yesterday that this Bing campaign, ad campaign, had been running for three years. Mm. To a, basically to a website that was, um, I don't know, wasn't even monitored, wasn't even, I don't even think it's connected to our CRM. So $60,000 I had spent over the course of three years running a campaign to, I was basically giving Bill Gates money for nothing, mm. um, which Bill Gates probably doesn't need or care about my 60,000 bucks, but I sure do. Um, and man, I want to tell you, like, I was, I can't blame anyone else. It's fully my responsibility. Um, I felt I felt pretty low for, I don't know, 30 minutes. So I sulked, I got, I got pissed, then I sulked. And then I kind of had an epiphany and I was like, you know what? 
I really, by finding this, I just gave myself a $20,000 a year raise going forward. And, and I will never make that mistake again. I'll make a whole bunch of other ones, probably ones that'll cost me more than 60,000 bucks, but I won't make that one the same way again. And at the end of the day, like I paid an expensive, I paid an expensive uh, fee to learn a really important lesson, which is, you know, I need some more controls. I need to be reviewing Amex a little bit closer every month. And, um, and you know, like, but I'm not going to beat myself up against it, uh, uh, for it. I'm going to forgive myself. I'm going to acknowledge like that was a really boneheaded mistake and, uh, and I'm going to get on with it. Well, I appreciate you sharing that because obviously that, you know, it's not pleasant. It, you had to show some vulnerability to, you know, tell the audience and, and, you know, this show really is about the good, the bad and the ugly. Obi's telling you that, you know, he sulked, he was pissed, but then he forgave himself. And I think if you're going to survive in this space, you have to forgive yourself. Otherwise, you'll just flee right back into your perceived security of whatever it was, that W-2 position um, or that steady contract labor. So, no, I, I've um, I'll share I'll share a bonehead. I'll share a bonehead move that I had recently. I would never have let this happen to a client, but um, I didn't stretch. I didn't stretch a financing contingency that I, I could have and should have because I had a lender give me verbal and email assurance that we were going to be fine, essentially get through a couple nuances of underwriting. And, and quite specifically, I'm doing a fix and flip loan on a project. And I had an appraiser render an ARV and after renovation value, they did not render an as is value. So to do that bridge that fix and flip, these private lenders need two values as is an ARV gave them my construction schedule, he got to an ARV that wasn't quite what I wanted, but I, I was willing to, you know, bridge the difference. Um, but he never rendered an as is. And so my loan officer is saying, you know what, we'll follow up with the AMC, we'll get to the appraiser, and we'll, we'll just get that as is value. He did put a land value in there that isn't all that far off from your purchase price. So I'm sure we can get an as is. Well, fast forward, that appraiser never did an as is. I can only go from my loan officer, loan officer to AMC, AMC to appraiser. I'm not even he doesn't work for me. He being the appraiser, he stopped answering my calls and texts and, um, and he never rendered the value. Essentially I'm taking a commercial building and doing short term residential out of it because zoning allows it. He's like, well, I can't render an as is value because I need commercial comps as is. Um, in reality, that's not true because the highest and best use does not change just because it's office. Now, if highest and best use is short-term residential and it's zoned for it, then highest and best use today is still short-term residential. There just happened to be office tenants there. Either way, he never rendered it, and I blew a deadline that I would have never let happen for a client. But then I, now I've got my pants down with uh, money in escrow, no way out, and I'm actually still working on this now. But if I can't get an extension, another appraisal, I probably need to get like another three weeks. Uh, I don't know if the seller's going to give it to me. I, I'm going to lose thousands of dollars, and it's boneheaded. I told you I've been doing, I've been in this line of work, you know, like 16 years. How did I, how did I let my own escrow go? I should have just extended that deadline because I did not have a clear to close. I just should have extended my financing and I probably could have, but I, I relied on the assurances of a loan officer and inherently loan officers are optimistic, nothing against loan officers. And, uh, and as of right now, it didn't come through. So, um, you know, here I am, um, relatively deep in my career, uh, losing escrow when I, I really never should have. So just another example, but I, I will for, I'm in the process of forgiving myself. Obi, Obi did a good job uh, with him. I'm still, I'm still soaking. I have to confess, but, um, that's my little, um, my, my, oh, you're still, you're still, yeah, yeah. You're still in the middle of that one. So yeah. Yeah. And it's sad, it's sad because it's what I actually counsel. Like when I represent people, whether it's legal or brokerage, I mean, I would never let them unless they just say, Ian, I don't care. I want to show a force. Here comes a big deposit, non-refundable. We're closing, whatever. Okay, if that's the, if, if there's a style or an angle or an advantage to be gained, sure, a strategy. But if it's just a run-of-the-mill deal, people do not want to jeopardize their escrow. And and I I did it to myself. You know, it's like the uh, the cobbler's kids running around barefoot. I just I just got I just figured I could solve it, and I relied on the assurances of a lender when. He can't, he can't do anything for me if it doesn't come through. So anyways, that's just a, another one. It's, I guess the point here is, guys, 
you're always going to, you know, have some egg on your face from time to time. It doesn't matter how experienced you are. And the truth be told, if you're a visionary entrepreneur, you're always trying to grow and reach and do something a little bit bigger and better and maybe more creative than you did the last time. Well, guess what's going to happen every now and then? Things like this, things like we just shared. Yeah. I mean, I guess I'd just piggyback off of that for, for somebody that's, um, well, the two things I'd, I'd wanted to share is one, like the story that we tell ourselves is critical on how we believe and how we act. Right. So, um, you know, sometimes it's self-fulfilling prophecy in the sense that like, if, if, um, if you're just constantly telling yourself, Hey, I, I made a bonehead move. I'm not good enough. I'm not the right person. Uh, like that affects your behavior. That affects the way that you're going to interact with others. It affects your confidence level. Um, and, it, you know, just switching that around a little bit and telling yourself a more positive story, uh, it, it has a big impact. And so I just encourage people to, to be careful about that, to listen to that little vo still voice in the back of your head and, you know, not believe your own bullshit. Like if it's, if it's, don't be so hard on yourself, right? And the second part of that is we talked about fear earlier, um, you know, being willing to take some risks, um, you know, being willing to stretch a little bit and reach for that, reach for that next level, uh, whether it be, a, uh, you know, jumping from the 1099 or W2 or whether it be, um, you know, going from a residential to a commercial deal or, or just trying something new, um, you know, or just, you know, don't let dollars, uh, you know, a bigger dollar deal, uh, freak you out. Um, like let the deal, let the deal itself prove if, if it's viable or not, as opposed to, uh, you know, just getting shy because of, uh, because of the dollar figure. I love that. And, you know, um, I have a note just to myself, you know, with these different interviews, it doesn't always come up, but you have such positive psychology that I'm going to steer this way a little bit, you know, limiting beliefs they're always there um you've touched on different things about self-forgiveness and if, if you you know the self-fulfilling prophecy of of thinking um maybe you're insufficient maybe you don't think you know maybe i'm not smart enough everybody else seems to have this figured out um what i learned and i'll, I'll share this i'll be real brief um what i learned from being you know from being in brokerage appraisal law all, all these different fields for for years now uh, on the brokerage side for 16 years many 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 people that i've represented um other you know doctors physicians it guys um high incomes uh like software sales a lot of them want to put money into real estate just to diversify and what i learned from working with those type of people all the way on up to like the career real estate people they're all figuring out as they go some might be ahead of us but um, I don't love the term fake it till you make it, but what, what I took from all that representation of others and having to interview all these property owners as a commercial appraiser, everybody is waking up in problem solving. Some people have better systems, but it's the fact that you're waking up and willing to improve steadily problem solving. That's really what's separating everybody. Everybody has these limiting beliefs. So I think some people think their limiting beliefs are unique to them. Um, but, but they're not, we all have to wake up and push through them. Yeah. I mean, I would echo that. And I would just say like, you're only competing with the guy on the mirror. You're only competing with the guy you were yesterday. So the comparison, uh, trap is, um, is really easy to fall into and it will steal your joy. So, you know, I've been in a situation before where I've closed like massive deals, like, or at least to me, right? Like big deals. And I felt like, oh, you know, this is a culmination of a whole lot of work. This is, um, this is very, very, you know, I feel fulfilled at that moment, right? Like I've successfully completed that mission. And, you know, you, next thing you know, you hop on social media and you see something and you're immediately making the, doing the math between you and, and somebody else. And all that, all that, um, uh, I don't know, appreciation for what, what you've generated and what you've done uh, now has been diminished because you're comparing yourself to somebody that you really have no business comparing yourself to anyway, right? First of all, half the crap on social media is fake. And then the second half of it, even if it is real, it doesn't really matter because it's different circumstances, different resources, different, 
you don't know how long that guy's been at it. So, you know, you don't know any of that stuff. You're just, you're just running your own race, competing with yourself. And if you can keep that, that, that focus on just being the better you and stretching yourself a little bit further, like that's, that's where you grow. That's where you, that's where you see some, um, some satisfaction and you know i just encourage people just to just to stay away from the comparison trap because it will it will absolutely steal your steal your joy i could not agree more and um i'm so thrilled to have you on the show because you're just dropping in incredible nuggets of of wisdom here and um you know an another thing kind of kind of in that same vein is like you know if you're it, you're talking about closing like that really big deal and and it feels good in the moment but if, if you're not just focused on like a long vision and constant self-improvement, you're going to feel like really, at least I'll speak for myself. I've felt really like empty and hollow sometimes, like right after the culmination of something awesome. And I'm like, this is so counterintuitive. Like, why is my, my headspace? So just, I mean, just like empty, hollow, negative. And I'm like, you, and I think what it is, is, is like you, it's a blend of like comparison and losing the long vision. And like you said, just look in the mirror and yesterday I closed a big deal. Well, are my habits the very following day as good or better than the day I closed the big deal? That's the only focus. You know, it doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. You know, I, I brokered with some, some guys in my twenties and a couple of them have done really well long before I ever had, um, investment success. And, um, and I was like, what am I doing? You know, I had a friend that was, I don't think he was 30 yet. He was taking like one way trips to like Southeast Asia and his, his rental properties were paying for everything. And I'm like, man, this guy's young. He's got time. He's got money. And here I am, you know, I, I came out of law school. This is ever, a lot of people already know this part of my story, but heavy, heavy debt. I had to figure out how to like get through all that just to get my head above water and then think about my future. And, um, that comparison, you know, I got way, I got way too caught up on that for years. Um, now I've kind of elevated myself to, let's call it, you know, what level one, level two financial freedom, whatever it is. I, I, I could live my life now, um, not really work and it would, it would be okay. And I'm like, I'm happy and proud of that. But the last thing I want to do is just sit back, pat myself on the back. What I really want to do is look at the habits that I gain to get to that moment and not be so focused on where I end up. Just keep the self-improvement going. If that leads to doing 20 hotel deals or a thousand apartment doors or a bunch of self-storage, whatever it does, that's great. But all I can really focus on is the guy in the mirror, like you said, and what improvement and action step am I going to take today? Because I don't know where I'm going to land and you want to keep the right mindset to pull you through all those times. Yep. Now you articulated that really well. Well, the, um, you know, I'm curious, you know, for those that are, like thinking about getting into real estate, you've talked about wholesaling. And I, I do think that, um, so I'll speak, you know, Obi is a awesome negotiator. We've talked about that. And he even, he even confessed, he likes the sparring and the, it's like, it's like a sport for those of you that, um, that might be a little bit more timid. We, we had a guest on, um, Pocky Judson from Hood Estates and he made a comment that resonated and, um, people have mentioned it to me since then. There is a cheat code, if you will, you know, like I don't play video games, but there's a cheat code in all this. If, if you don't share some of the characteristics, it kind of goes back to that who, not how comment that Obi made earlier. But partnership can be a cheat code of sorts. If you don't have the skill set of Obi, but you might have a complementary skill set or you don't have my background, but you might have something complementary. Partnership can be everything or as people have success. I'll generalize a little bit. Sometimes I won't say they lose their tenacity, but th they get a little bit fat and happy, maybe a little bit complacent versus where they were when they first came in. If you can be that guy that brings, you know, that five hour energy shot in the arm and you're willing to smile and dial and knock and go and just, and just, you know, be a Tasmanian devil for the guy. Um, he'll probably, probably show you much of what you need to learn to one day land up where he is, but you can't just go and say, give me all you know, teach me, you need to bring something to the table, like a real value add proposition. And a lot of times you need to think about, do I have a complimentary skill set? Or am I just willing to come in and just, you know, hustle for this guy? Any thoughts on that, Obi? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it, that, that my advice to somebody would really de depend on where they're coming at, uh, com what they have presently, right? So I think what's important for, for ev everybody, myself included, is to really just to take stock of the resources that you have, right? The knowledge that you have, the relationships that you have, the, um, uh, you know, just the connections, uh, all of those are resources and we kind of undervalue those. Um, but then, you know, just come back to like, what do you like? What are you really good at? What do you dislike? What are you not good at? And, and play on your strengths. And, you know, there, you can either hire somebody to do the things you're not good at, or you can partner with somebody that has complementary uh, strengths and, and, and get to that next level, get to that, you know, leverage other people. That's, that's my message. And, and just to give like a simple, simple example, you know, let's say you're listening to this and you, let's say you want to buy a quadruplex. Well, one thing you could do would be to partner with somebody who already owns 10 quadruplexes. They're going to know how to walk them, what to look for, how to review the leases, who's going to give you the money, who should be the one to manage it. You're going to learn so much. I would actually advocate you do that deal on disparate terms, meaning maybe maybe you do something that's not even necessarily um, on par financially, but you know you're going to learn. Um, honestly, early on, I, I would probably I would probably recommend some people maybe do deals uh, maybe for free if you're going to learn because you have to gain this perspective and this purview somewhere. And if you're, I see a lot of like early investors get really caught up on like the terms of deals and, and they matter. I mean, you, can, you don't want to do things to your detriment per se, but rolling up your sleeves and working, you know, for free is, is not always a bad idea if you're going to gain some kind of a skill set from it or um, putting your money into a deal, like as a limited partner or a passive investor, let's say OB finds a 10 unit apartment and you're like, you know what? I would love to own 10 unit apartments. OB's already got a couple. Maybe you give, maybe you've saved some money. Maybe you put, $20,000 into Obi's deal, you're passive, you're a limited partner, you don't get to call any of the shots. But if Obi is willing to take your money and open up, let's say his spreadsheets, what he's looking at his thought process, it'd be well worth it. Sometimes being a passive investor, like an active passive investor, you know, with a curious mind, that can be a really good way in. Um, I, a lot of people in my sphere of influence, let's say they're around 40 years old, I do have a lot of friends that are in like the legal profession and um, some of them are becoming higher income earners. It might not make sense for them to just like leave, you know, leave the law firm and, and, and try and flip whole, flip and wholesale houses and stuff. But what might make sense is to call somebody like me or OB or, or other people in your network, bring your money to them, let them put the money to work. And I think a, a reasonable ask would be, will you, will you kind of open up and teach me along the way? That, that doctor or physician or whatever, they may never run their own projects, but it's a much safer way to learn than to just, you know, like burn the ships on the beach, leave your job, you know, call every lead you can, try and fix and rehab and wholesale um, with no real mentorship. So I did not do this, but I do recommend to people, especially if they have like a, if they're higher income earners, but they really just want to, they really want to pivot and kind of take control and maybe get out of what they're doing. If you already have the income, I would start with passive investing and just find a general partner, meaning the one who's calling all the shots, a general partner who's just going to show you more of the path. And, and that's a way to cut off a lot of the rough edges. And it's kind of a cheat code through that partnership. Yeah, you mentioned a minute ago, the cheat code, and I think that's it, right? Like it's, it's, per, it's just taking stock of the inventory of the resources that you have and parlaying those, leveraging those. Uh, to to get ahead in 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 your career in life and in your investment uh, path, um, and and the relationships are are the key to doing that for sure. Obi, I'm going to pivot a little bit. Um, you've done a lot. I mean, you've, you that a thousand deals, uh, eight years. You know, a nice portfolio, um, big a big acreage development stuff. What what are your if you don't mind sharing? What are your goals? And I know we talked about every day is just really about self-improvement and beating the man in the mirror. Um, but do you have any goals that, you, that you'd that you care to share? Yeah, so 
you know, what I'm, I'm kind of pivoting a little bit in, in business in the sense that, um, you know, I, I've kind of got to the place where like, I don't need, um, I'm not trying to impress anybody. I'm not trying to, uh, win any awards. I'm com I'm comfortable in my, um, financially comfortable. Not that I don't want more, but I don't need more. Um, and I'm blessed to be able to, uh, to kind of say that. And, um, so now I'm, I'm turning my attention more to helping people on my team, uh, grow to that next level. You get to, uh, some financial security and, um, you know, I'd like, um, I've kind of in, instituted or in, included a, a, a mission as part of our, our company vision. And that's to have, uh, employees that want to be, uh, to be retired within 10 years of working for us. Um, so that, I think that's, uh, aspirational in the sense that, you know, we're, to, we're taught that, you know, you work for 40 years and retire at 60 or 65. And, um, I think there's a lot of, um, I got into the business because of, I wanted freedom, right. And I, I want that for, for people that help me build what we're building. And, um, so we're, I'm kind of turning some of that attention, uh, to helping others build their net worth, build their passive income. And, um, uh, through that, I'm looking to uh, hire and retain, a, 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 you know, I'm looking to that to be a component of, of recruiting as well. I'd like to uh, grow my, uh, my leadership team uh, to get a little bit more depth there. So I'm looking for some higher level, um, uh, you know, people to, to come on and be part of our, our growing enterprise. And um, the other thing that I'm really excited about this year is we've tied uh, a giving component to uh, top line revenue in the sense that we're, um, you know, we're committed to having an impact on, on our community and other people's lives uh, outside our, our own, um, our own pocketbook. Right. And so we're looking uh, just to, to pay that forward in the sense that, um, you know, we're trying to make a little dent in the universe, trying to help people. And, um, you know, we've made a commitment just to tie t a percentage of top line revenue to giving. I think that's awesome, Obi. And what I what I love is, as you've had your success, um, you've maintained, in, in my opinion, and I think it shows through in this interview, you've maintained your humility. And as you've risen, you know, in in the community, now you've focused on giving back, and you want your team to have financial independence in ten years. And I, I kind of, I'm I'm a little, you know, I kind of know what you mean by that. I assume that, you know, maybe there's some deals that come into the company or some strategies that you impart on them. I'm sure you give them resources and kind of some coaching, but um, that's just awesome. I think that I have heard of companies where they want everybody on the team to have, um, they want everyone on the team to own real estate, ideally something outside of their primary residence. Um, it, it could be, it could be like a two to four unit house hack that might work too, but um just to like align and, and so people know why you're doing all these things. Um, if you don't mind sharing, what um, what were some of your greatest influences to date? I mean, I definitely say faith. Um, you know, um, I, I, I would be lying if I said that, that Jesus hadn't had a, a, an impact on my on my life. Um, so that's 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 there for sure. Um, beyond that, in the in the you know, my wife, I would say, uh, has been a influential, uh, person in, in my growth and development and the business's development. Um, but beyond that, I mean, the, the, the normal, um, the normal gurus, um, you know, think and grow rich, uh, was a pivotal book for me. Um, and Napoleon Hill and, uh, uh let's see, um, think big, uh, was a, uh, an important book. Um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Uh, you mentioned Grant Cardone earlier. Uh, you know, Grant's a little bit like nails on a chalkboard to me, um, but at the same time, uh, you know, he's 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 given me a kick in the butt a couple of couple of times and and, and poured gas on a fire. So um, there's a handful of other uh, uh, mentors, uh, local and and regional and nationwide, that have, have kind of helped me as well. So. Um, yeah, I mean the information's out there. I think just not caught, not getting caught up in the in the BS is is uh, equally important. Yeah, I think that you know listening to people that are truly ahead of you, not just not just people that are talking, 
not just people that have like loud, noisy social media accounts. And but look, look at those that are truly ahead of you. And when I say ahead of you, ahead of you in the categories you care about. Um, you know, I, I do want to kind of go back because Obi, I'm gonna pat you on the back a little more. As as Obi's progressed and grown professionally, he's become even even more altruistic. And um, I have seen largely through like my brokerage and appraisal work. You know, I had to interview a lot of people and you know people that might own you know, like 20 hotels and like on the surface, you're like, these guys just, they have everything. They got the world on a string. So many of them were like uh, narrow, uh, truly paranoid, um, still very full of fear, um, st still convinced every they, they could lose everything. A lot of them had family problems because they hadn't kept a broad view as they rose in their success and they isolated themselves. And um, I just think it's unfortunate. And so, I love what what Obi has to say and, and and what his mission has become. Now he's trying to float. He's trying to float a lot of boats up with this with this rising tide. So I, I think that's a tremendous takeaway because some people listening to this might already might already be on the rise. Don't silo yourself off. You know, uh, let people rise up with you. You know, there's that metaphor. You know, are we all jumping on a little life raft or or, or is there room for everyone? And I tend to take an abundance mindset. I, I still think there's plenty of room. We're not just sinking the life raft. And um, I think shows like this are evidence of it. Why would, if we were really that paranoid, would we get on a show like this and share a bunch of secrets so people can come take all of our livelihood away? No, because it's not gonna happen. There is room, there is abundance. Yeah, there's that old, I don't know, Chinese proverb as it's been relayed to me, but you know, just because the sun shines on my brother's back doesn't mean it doesn't shine on mine. So there, there is truly an abundance out there. There is no shortage of deals. Um, the market will dictate what's a deal. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, uh, if there is a shortage of one thing, it's people that are willing to kind of roll their sleeves up and get after the work and do the hard work that it takes. Um, but short of that, there's no shortage of opportunity. Um, Obi, we're going to kind of transition and, and taper down towards the end of this episode here. But um, just on the personal side, what are some of your hobbies and interests outside of uh, crushing real estate investment? Man, I have got four little kids at home. So my hobbies include bouncies, rollies, and tickles. <laughs> uh, I've got um, a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old, a two-and-a-half-year-old, and a nine, almost ten-month-old. Um, my wife and I are foster parents. We've fostered and adopted, um, uh, fostered and adopted one, and now are fostering and adopting a second. Um, so, you know, kids take up a, a lion's share of my time, but, uh, you know, we do uh, horseback riding with them. If I'm able to carve out a little bit of time once in a while, I'll be able to go and do some uh, deep sea fishing and, and things of that nature. Um, and then earlier this week, uh, we took in two uh, Australian Shepherd puppies. Um, so it's kind of like having uh, two toddlers run around your house without diapers with um, razor sharp teeth. So I've definitely, definitely got my hands full. But uh, yeah, I mean, we've, we've got, a, got a farm on the west side of uh, Jacksonville that uh, we're enjoying. Um, utilizing on the weekends and just kind of getting out in nature and and uh, exploring that so um yeah on the um on kind of a final takeaway note and you've dropped so many you know awesome nuggets on us but um what comes to mind when, when you see somebody that's let's let's just say they're early in their journey maybe they have a unit outside of their primary residence maybe they have let's say they have like maybe one to five rental units they're they're um they've started they have the impetus um what would be like your biggest coaching point and, and i actually i could probably paraphrase some you've already made today but um kind of your big takeaway uh to impart on someone well, just take stock and figure out what your why is which what your really goal ultimately is and um you know i've got a a, a saying that i kind of just action takers are money makers. So, you know, like if, if you, you will never get anywhere without taking uh, action. So uh, the, the concept is great. Talking about it's great, but actually doing something um, is, is what's most critical. I love that. Action takers are money makers. That might, that might be your, your clip when we edit this up. Um, now, where can people find Obi Dorsey? I mean, I'm on social media. Um, 
Facebook, uh, Instagram under my, my name, OBI, uh, Dorsey, D-O-R-S-E-Y. Um, if you've got a deal locally, uh, shoot me an email, OBI at freedomholdingsusa.com or uh, just reach out on my cell, uh, 904-588-2195. Happy to help with anything uh, that you think I can add value to. Love to get to know people, love to, love to do deals. Wonderful. All right, everybody, now you know how to get a hold of Obi. Um, he, I mean, he gave you his cell and everything. So I couldn't thank you more, Obi, for coming on the show. I know I personally enjoyed it, and I think there were a lot of big takeaways from this episode. Um, if the audience is liking what they hear, please make sure on iTunes or Spotify that you rate and subscribe. By doing those two things, it boosts us way up, and it allows us to reach a broader audience. So rate the show subscribe and uh and just stay tuned we're trying to put out shows roughly weekly um and we've got great guests like obi and i'm just loving where this is going um yield coach is also on instagram we are on facebook these uh podcasts also show up on the youtube channel we do we do film the video if um if you want to see how handsome obi is watch the youtube version of this and um Every now and then we'll do this show and we'll live stream it on, on Instagram or, or, um, or YouTube. So it's good to tune in on those two channels as well. Um, at the moment, we're going to start scheduling some, some physical meetups to where if you're in Northeast Florida, um, we'll be able to get together, bring like-minded investors together, maybe some investment opportunities that we can all collaborate on. So this is an effort to build a community and a community where we all rise together, much as uh, Obi mentioned earlier in this episode. All right. Well, for that, this is Coach Brown signing off and reminding everybody to lace up and leave it all on the field.